This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Today we'll discuss a geriatric topic. Although we may not be looking forward to it, we uh, do all hope to get there someday. Now, if we consider the elderly over the age of 65, this group uh, currently represents about 13% of the population. This number is increasing and expected to hit 20% by 2020. And those over the age of 85 represent the fastest growing age group in our country. This has a lot of implications about healthcare costs and it would certainly be to everyone's benefit to stay as healthy as possible as we age. Our guest today is Dr. Ed Laskowski. Dr. Laskowski is a physician in the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation and co-director of Mayo Clinic Sports Medicine. He is also a course director for the 28th annual Mayo Clinic Symposium on Sports Medicine in Rochester, Minnesota, November 9th and 10th in 2018. Thanks for joining us, Ed. It's my pleasure to be here, Daryl. Well, I know as we age, our body changes and there's a lot of differences between one individual and another, but what are, the, what are some of the physiologic changes that occur in essentially all of us as we get older? Right, okay, the bad news first. So, well, right. we, we lose about 10% of our lean muscle mass per decade after age 30. So with that loss of lean muscle, we actually increase our body fat. Our basal metabolic rate, the rate at which our body burns calories, declines about two to five percent per decade and there are some metabolic changes that occur also as we age we become more insulin resistant we have a greater propensity for type 2 diabetes our connective tissue loses its elasticity our aerobic work capacity decreases and uh, and we get you know more of the things that we get with aging about a third of adults uh, who are 60 or over have some osteoarthritis so those are, those are things that, that really happen to all of us over time. Is there anything we can do to maybe not reverse, but at least minimize these changes related to our aging? That is the good news. So <laughs> it's amazing, really. If we train, we can mitigate so many of these effects if we exercise and move. Um, we mentioned that decrease in aerobic capacity or VO2 max. If we, if we exercise, there's only about a 10% decline with age in our VO2 max. Um, activity decreases systolic and diastolic blood pressure. It increases HDL and decreases LDL. Um, we mentioned osteoarthritis. If we strength train and we're active, that mitigates osteoarthritis pain. Almost every study with arthritis shows that people who strength train have less pain and better function. Uh, as we get older, we tend to fall more. In fact, over 65, about one-third of people in the community fall each year. It's a sixth leading cause of death greater than 65. And a uh, you know, significant healthcare economy problem, about $10 billion a year for fall-related problems. But if we, again, exercise, strength training makes strong muscles about joints, supports joints, leads to stability, and reduces the risk of falls. There was one study that even showed that Tai Chi movement, some really gentle movement therapy, reduced the incidence of falls and hip fractures. 
uh, osteoporosis, again, a major risk factor, especially as, as women age. Um, mechanical loading of bone helps maintain bone. So walking and strength training of muscles helps to maintain bone mineral density. And there's just a myriad of other effects. Uh, exercise mitigates depression, uh, lowers the risk of dementia. We found some studies at Mayo here. Ron Peterson has done some great studies there. Uh, it attenuates Parkinson's progression even. So it's, it's, uh, it's really a wonder drug. All right. Well, let's come back to exercise. But I want to ask you one more thing about what I'm wondering is if, if it's an unavoidable result of aging, and that's uh, weight gain. It seems like patients in general tend to gain weight as they get older. Is mm -hmm. that something they can do something about, or just that's part of aging? Well, it's a great question. And, and, and again, we lose about 10% of our lean muscle mass per decade after 30. So, so what happens is that usually gets replaced with fat. So we tend to gain more fat each decade. But if we train, the good news is we can mitigate those effects and combat those effects. So muscle is almost like, you know, I almost think of it as like an engine. So it's like a, having a V8 engine instead of a four-cylinder. And muscle burns calories. So if you increase, and it doesn't mean we have to be Arnold Schwarzenegger or a professional bodybuilder, but just replacing what we lost. And our physiology is different when we're younger, that's true. But if we work at it and we introduce strength training into our program, we will get that lean muscle back. So we'll increase lean muscle mass will burn more calories and that really helps with weight control you know a lot of patients who you know they say doc i do all the things and diet they get they, they get the diet going they get walking and they'll lose but then they'll plateau and that next jump will be when they add the strength training that really makes a difference i've said i've had many patients and probably myself as well who've tried dieting alone to lose weight and in most cases it's been unsuccessful and i've had other patients who go strictly with exercise and it's often unsuccessful, but it seems to be that the combination of dieting and exercise is what's important in getting a substantial amount of weight off. Is that is that true? That's exactly right. And they're synergistic and, and each of them by themselves are helpful. Like you say, diet, most of the studies show diet, diet actually more effective. But when you put them together, there's a, there's a whole more, <laughs> there's, it's not one and one is two, it's one and one is about six. It really, it really jumpstarts things and helps things. And, and there's unique effects, too, of exercise that diet doesn't give us. Um, there's even strength training exercise by itself changes people's metabolic profile. It makes them, uh, that insulin resistance we talked about, it helps combat that. Um, it helps, uh, again, with joint stability and fall protection. So I think they, they each they have their role, uh, but definitely both together are the, the best at, at both for weight maintenance and weight loss and also for pre prevention of frailty. You know, as we get older, what we don't want to have happen is we get so deconditioned that we can't move and we lose independence and we develop uh, conditions secondary to that. And the more, we're, the more we keep moving, the more we're active in combination with a healthy diet, that's, that's the best combination to prevent frailty. Well, I imagine certainly prescribing or recommending exercise is helpful for any age group uh, I suspect it's probably best to start as early in life as possible. Uh, is that the case? You know, a good foundation is key. And uh, our, our youth, unfortunately, now we're still uh, mired in the midst of a global epidemic of obesity and sedentary lifestyle. About 70% of our, of our youth are not getting the activity that they should get. And the incidence of obesity in our youth has tripled over the last generation. And this, 
Uh, so and this may be the first generation of kids who don't outlive their parents. So uh, very serious problems. And this is a worldwide problem. I've, I've come from the Middle East. I've come from China that we're seeing with technology and with the affluence and more sedentary lifestyle that we're seeing these problems all over the world, really. So, um, you know, it's a serious issue in our, our youth, especially with video games and um, maybe reductions in school. Some school districts have cut PE out of the curriculum. Uh, we really need to get them moving again. And it's a free play and it's a, to just activity. And we, and we like to use that term instead of exercise. Sometimes exercise connotes uh, spandex and, and having to go somewhere and, and do something really intense and sweat bullets. And people say, I don't want to do that. I'm done. But, but really, movement, activity is great. You know, kids just playing, playing tag, playing hide-and-seek, playing outside. Um, that movement is wonderful. We, as a, as a family, and, uh, you know, after dinner, instead of just sitting around, you walk. You know, you walk and talk while you're walking. So any, any kind of movement is good movement. How do we know how much exercise to recommend? What, uh, what, what kind of uh, exercise should we be giving our patients in maybe different age groups, middle-aged versus elderly? So our, our current guidelines, and this is called uh, from a voluminous amount of research, um, our current guidelines, and, and actually there's going to be new guidelines coming out later this year. They're, they're in place now. They, they came out in 2008, revised this year in 2018, are 150 minutes of moderate activity per week or 75 minutes of vigorous activity per week. So that's a, of the moderate, it's about 30 minutes five days a week or 75 minutes of vigorous. And that 75 minutes of vigorous is respecting the fact that now we're seeing that what we call high-intensity interval training is actually very effective and very efficient for virtually all populations. And uh, what that is is basically doing something pretty much as hard as you can for about 30 seconds and then having a three to four minute period of, of rest, of recovery, and then doing that again for another 30 seconds and maybe repeating that cycle about three or four times. So really, it's only about 15 to 20 minutes of, of, in, of act activity in total, and maybe only about two to three minutes of really intense activity. But we're finding that that type of exercise is very efficient at producing a lot of the same benefits as some of the more longer duration exercise. And with everybody in time crunches now and, and the busyness of our culture, um, it's a very efficient mode. And it's been studied in people with heart disease and in the obese population, and, and the compliance rate is very high, and the side effect rate is very low. And you think, oh boy, we're going to have an increased risk of cardiovascular disease with this population or stroke. Um, not the case in our studies. And, and in fact, some studies show even a less risk. So. Um, that's one way of enticing people into, into getting some movement in in a, maybe a more efficient way. What are some examples of moderate exercise? You know, just really walking is wonderful, you know, and you don't have to, you know, whether you like to walk or, or ride a bike or if, you, if you're exercising to the point where you're breathing a little hard, but maybe you can still hold a conversation, that's probably the ideal mode. If you, if you can't talk, that's, that's pretty hard and that may be too much and, and may, may not be palatable for some. But if you're, if you're just kind of, you know, working so that you're working up a little bit of a sweat and you're getting a good pace in and you can, but maybe can still keep a conversation going, that's, that's at moderate level. And you can gain a, whether it's moderate biking or moderate swimming, moderate walking, uh, elliptical trainers, whatever you choose. Uh, there's no magic piece of equipment. 
Um, and, and you know what? Accumulated activity is good, too. And, and that used to, sometimes people say, oh, you have to do things for at least 10 minutes and all. And we're finding now just accumulate movement, just really throughout your day. The more you accumulate, the better. And, uh, and you know, whether it's taking the stairs, parking further away, the more you can accumulate those, those sessions, those bouts of activity throughout the day, the better it is for your health. Can you break these up into, say, two 15-minute sessions instead of 1.30? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and even shorter sessions. And they've, they've studied, recent studies have even broken that down into more minutes. And the more minutes of activity we get per day, the better. It doesn't have to be consecutive, but cumulatively, uh, they provide a significant benefit. And that, that magic mark of that 150 minutes per week of moderate, that's based on some research that really shows that that's the reduction in cardiovascular mortality the death rate, that's quite significant. Um, and, and it's good news, too, because you don't have to run marathons to be fit uh, or to be protected from heart disease. You can, you can exercise a lot and be very fit, and that's great. But the biggest bang for your buck occurs in getting that, that kind of 150 minutes per week of moderate. That's where our, our cardiovascular risk and our death risk really makes the biggest uh, dent. Mayo Clinic offers medical education conferences at locations around the country and the globe. Learn from medical experts and network with colleagues at exciting destinations. Plan your next CME course by visiting ce.mayo.edu. the uh, weekend warriors where they may go on a 60-mile bike ride in the, in, the, in the weekends but do really no exercise during the week. Is that all that beneficial or is that just as good? I mean, you know, any, any movement is good movement, so it's good. Um, we, certainly we'd strive for more consistency. And, and I think weaving exercise into your day is, is the key. And, and like we were discussing, just those short bouts, just, just movement. And, uh, you know, rather than sometimes if people think, well, boy, I have to go somewhere, I have to go to a health club, I have to do this and then shower and come back. You know what? Just moving throughout the day, that's, that's really the key. So the more that you can accumulate that throughout the week, not bad to do more on the weekends, but, but consistency is, is important also. How do we convince our patients to exercise? What about the patient who says, I just really hate exercise? You know, what, what, can we, what can we do to kind of motivate them or find something that they seem to enjoy doing? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. You know, half of it is education, too. I, I, I tell people I, I have this um, <laughs> little series of things I say. So, well, I said, what if I told you there was a drug that reduced breast cancer risk by 50%, lowered colon cancer risk by 60%, reduced Alzheimer's risk by 40%, reduced heart rate and blood pressure by 40%, lowered the risk of stroke for, by a third, lowered the risk of type 2 diabetes by 60%, and decrease depression as effectively as Prozac or behavioral therapy. What if, what if there was a drug that did that? And it was free. And it was free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, but, but if it was a drug, people would buy that in spades. You'd yeah. have lines out the door. But, but that, exactly right, that is physical activity and exercise. So I think just knowing that, sometimes people hear those figures and they're like, whoa, you're kidding, you know. And, and, and again, enticing them into just movement that, again, you don't have to put on put on a special outfit and go somewhere special and 
I have a I have a patient who, who brought a picture of <laughs> picture of his old he actually brought his old pants and he lost 250 pounds and he uh, he said uh, he made me take a picture of him with his old pants <laughs> and he said he said doc take a picture of me he said because because I want people to know I didn't do anything special he said I just did what she said I said I didn't eat as much and I, I got moving and and this guy he had to use a walker at first and then he was only able to do like a minute minute and a half but then it was three minutes and then it was four minutes and then it was six minutes and then it was eight minutes and then he didn't need the walker and then so slow and steady wins the race and I think sometimes we hear these numbers and they, oh man you know they look they look like a lot or we try and do something we get sore and we say oh brother I can't do that anymore so, so just enticing them to little bits of little bits of activity, um, you know, walks around the neighborhood, bike rides, swimming, whatever. And and even if you have a condition like arthritis, there's usually some kind of activity you can do that's not going to be painful, but that will help you. Good. Well, I do know the world is a better place if it doesn't see me in spandex. But, uh, <laughs> well, you've been talking about basically aerobic exercise. What about resistance training? How does that fit into this? Very important, and uh, again, that lean muscle mass loss we talked about, we want to want to have our muscles strong. Strong muscles stabilize joints and support joints. So, and we want our, our uh, and there, there's specific effects too with, with, with resistance training that we have seen in the metabolic profile. So in, independent of aerobic exercise, resistance training um, actually helps with insulin resistance and with some of the metabolic things that we see changing um, in, as we age. So independent of even aerobic exercise and, and certain cardiovascular parameters too. So both on the metabolic end and also for the joint protection end, very important. So you can imagine if you have arthritis in the joint, if every step you have weak muscles, every step you take, that joint is absorbing the load of the ground. But if we have strong muscles about the joint, now the muscle's absorbing load as well as the joint. So that deflects the force off of that. So again, most every study we have with strength training and osteoarthritis shows that people who strength train have less pain and better function. So uh, to, to just improve our function in life, our quality of life, to help us to, to do things easier and better, uh, very important to strength train. Well, it's pretty easy to describe aerobic activity to patients and how much they should do, but how do we encourage patients to do resistance training? How, how would we explain that to them? Mm -hmm. So really strength training is just, uh, we really challenge the muscle with a resistance to get it to adapt and get better. And that resistance doesn't have to be, again, a, a fancy machine. Um, it can be a free weight. It can be resistance in the water with a paddle. It can be resistance tubing. Uh, it can be your body weight. So again, depending on what you like and what you like to do, um, any one of those can challenge the muscle and uh, make it adapt and get better. And one of the things that we're finding with resistance training is there, there was a traditional dogma before that you had to do multiple sets, at least three sets of activity in, in each muscle group. And, and when people did that, it took a long time and, and they couldn't keep it up. Now we're finding a single set of exercise activity to fatigue, of strength training activity to fatigue, is enough to get the changes that we need. And over 90% of the strength gains can be achieved by a single set program. And we usually find when, the, when you fatigue a muscle, a nice, nice number to remember is 12 to 15 repetitions. So if you can lift a weight 12 to 15 times before you can't lift it anymore, that's a nice number. Uh, because if you fatigue at that number, it'll, it'll produce the changes in the muscle that will be very beneficial. And it'll, it'll really, we're seeing the same effects as if you did that two and three and four and multiple times. 
So whether you lift a soup can, whether you use a resistance tubing, whether you use your body weight, um, all of them are, are helpful. We actually have a series of videos on mayoclinic.org. If you just search strength training videos, we show you how to do it with, with body weight, with tubing, with machines, and with free weights. What's best for maintaining our flexibility as we get older? <laughs> well, you know, and the important thing about flexibility, um, everybody's different. Um, and, and so some people say, boy, doc, I stretch. I stretch all the time, and I, I just can't get more flexible. There's a genetic predisposition to that, and not everybody may be the ballerina or the gymnast. What we find most important with flexibility is equalness side to side, symmetry. So if, uh, if somebody's had a hamstring injury, say, they may be tighter on one side than another, and then they start running, they advance the running mileage, all of a sudden, oh, man, my hamstring's killing me. How come? Well, that, that imbalance created unequal tissue load and caused a problem. So equalness side to side for wherever you are with respect to your flexibility is important. And again, we have, a, we have a stretching slideshow, too, to show you how to do the stretches. It's important to do them correctly. You don't want to bounce when you do your stretching. You want to hold your stretches about 30 seconds. And that, if you really look at that tick off on a watch, that's a long time. Most people probably hold 5, 10 seconds. They really don't hold them 30 seconds. But you're really trying to get the tissue to elongate. And whatever your genetic, uh, genetics are, you want to, we want to maximize the motion about your joint. And that's what I, what I almost term prefer to call flexibility is you want to optimize motion about a joint. And for whatever that is for you, you want it to be equal side to side. We've been talking about exercise with Dr. Ed Laskowski, a Mayo Clinic physician in physical medicine and rehabilitation. Thanks for your time, Ed. My pleasure. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe. Mayo Clinic delivers more CME offerings nationwide than any other medical education provider. Find your next conference at ce.mayo.edu. Stay healthy and see you next week.